Hello, everyone, and welcome to our The Week That Was in Europe podcast. My name is Dirk Schumacher. I'm the head of European Macro Research at Natixis. And with me, as usual, is Klaus Adam, Professor of Economics at the University of Mannheim. Hello, also from my side. So there is no pause in terms of the political developments in Europe, with the upcoming final round of the French presidential elections being the next big event to watch. So we shall discuss in this week's podcast some interesting lessons that can be learned from the first round of these elections in terms of the structural tectonic trends present in the French political landscape, then the economic and fiscal challenges that the next French president will have to face, and finally, we will touch on the implications of a possible victory of Marine Le Pen for the European project. But let's start with some new euro area macro data that has come out this week, Dirk. Yeah, it was a rather light week in terms of data. I would just highlight one uh, data point, which is the, the survey of professional forecasters conducted by the ECB among market economy um, economists. Uh, and that survey uh, with respect to the long-term inflation expectations showed an increase to 2.1%, meaning that in the long run, uh, those surveyed expect inflation to settle at 2.1%. That's roughly in line with the ECB's target of 2%. But it's noteworthy that we've seen a rather strong upward revision in these long-term forecasts, um, around half a percentage point since the last summer. And, and that's obviously to some extent worrisome, given that uh, inflation expectations should remain anchored. They, they still are at 2.1, but uh, if the momentum, the upward momentum continues at some point, they're not anymore. But let's move on to our main topic, the final round of the French presidential elections, in particular with a question where we stand in the polls. Klaus. Yeah, so the polls indicate a pretty clear lead for Emmanuel Macron. So the latest numbers show around 10 percentage point lead for Macron over Marine Le Pen from the extreme right uh, Rassemblement National. So excuse me. But um, more than 90% of those polls uh, already say that they have made up their mind on who to vote for. And um, yesterday we saw the debate between the two and it's uh, that's unlikely that this will move a lot, uh, the outcome. But um, overall, it, this suggests that the margin of error in these polls would have to be rather wide uh, for Le Pen still being able to become uh, the next president. But then again, surprise results happen. I mean, we had a few over the last 10 years, if you will, Brexit comes to mind. And, and one issue with respect to that uh, uh, election, uh, is that uh, next week vacations start in the Ile-de-France area, the area around Paris. Uh, and since there's no mail-in voting in France, uh, this may to uh, lower voter turnout, and that would arguably benefit uh, Le Pen, given that the area, the Ile-de-France, is is Um the, So the the our assessment is that the race is not settled yet. Um, and there are some interesting aspects in any case that emerged in the first round of the elections, which may have rather lasting implications for the political landscape in, in France. Right, Klaus? Yeah, indeed. So the upcoming second round of the presidential elections is a repeat of the 2017 final round. Uh, the outcome from the first round of this time, however, generated some interesting surprises. So first of all, we witnessed the collapse of the traditional center-left and center-right parties. And particularly stunning is the case of the Parti Socialiste, uh, 
which has essentially stopped being a relevant political force at all, obtaining less than 3% of the votes. Uh, this is a party that held between 25 and 30% of the votes in the 2007 and 2012 election cycles. Similarly, at the center-right, the so-called Les Républicains have become uh, irrelevant with a less than 5% in the first round vote. This really indicates that the traditional French political landscape is somehow dead. And uh, secondly, we also wit witnessed a continuation of a previous trend, namely that the vote share of populist parties has been steadily increasing. And this is especially true for the extreme right, which went from around zero in the early 80s to close to a third right now. And this is really a tectonic shift. Yeah, this is, uh, these are both remarkable developments. Uh, in fact, adding the votes for the left-wing populist party of Jean-Luc Mélenchon to these populist right-wing votes shows that we're facing a situation where more than half of French voters opted in the first round for what you could call populist parties. And clearly France is not the only European country that has seen an erosion of its traditional political um, party spectrum. The same is true in Italy, also in Germany also to some extent in Spain, um, and in particular Italy, uh, it started a long time ago. Um, but what France stands out, at least among the big European countries, is regarding to the degree to which the political spectrum has changed over the last 10 years, so that the main two center-left, center-right parties do not matter at all anymore. That, that, that really is uh, a very specific French development. Yeah, and it's also interesting to see what the traditional parties have been replaced with. So a large vote share obviously went to Emmanuel Macron's party, La République en Marche, but this is not a party in the traditional sense. It's more like a movement designed to support the political ambitions of Emmanuel Macron. It's essentially a one-man show with only weak roots on the local level. And it's not clear what will happen to this party or this movement once Macron is not president anymore. So all this means that the political instability, the possible drift in French politics, substantially increases the uncertainty about the intentions of future French governments. This is something that needs to be taken account of at the European level and in other capitals. This is perhaps even more important nowadays, given that the French army is the only European army fielding nuclear weapons. Yeah, um, as you said, that's that really matters for the for the European level because French support for Europe is an important lubricant in the political process in the European Union. Agreements on the European level are difficult to enforce. We know that they're therefore dependent on some degree of goodwill among the member countries and a common ground regarding the general direction in which the EU is heading. If you will, the, the current confrontation between the European Commission backed by a strong majority of EU member countries, and Hungary and Poland, the other side, shows how difficult and potentially damaging it can be to resolve a conflict. That's essentially also about the reach of European law and the minimum requirements in terms of democratic process in each member country. So the, the, the collapse of the traditional political parties in France arguably increases the political uncertainty along this dimension, as Klaus said. All as equal, this uncertainty considerably complicates further integration at the European level, all as equal. 
Yeah, so that's uh, certainly a lesson to be taken note of. Now let's move on to another important topic, economics. So whoever will win the presidential election will have to deal with a number of economic challenges. There are short-term and long-term issues, and um, short-term things actually do not look all too bad. Uh, the recession, while it triggered a lockdown, you know, while it triggered a deep decline in French GDP by around 18.4% until the summer of 2020, uh, the GDP numbers also swiftly came back. Um, and, um, you know, the decline was larger than in the rest of Europe, but also the recovery was stronger. And uh, now, GDP levels exceed pre-pandemic uh, levels by close to 1%, while in the rest of Europe, uh, they are still below the pre-pandemic level. So in the short term, the recovery was strong. Yeah, and it's also interesting to see what, what drove the recovery in, in France and, and uh, was consumption dynamics, dynamics which have been supported by strong income growth. Uh, the, the job retention schemes, the short shift working schemes um, put in place helped to limit the decline in employment, while targeted additional government transfers supported household income. And by the way, that continues to be the case in order to offset some of the um, damage done by the high inflation in terms of real income growth. Um, and very important, France created an impressive 697,000 uh, jobs in 2021 and 380,000 since 2019. So employment is thus up 1.5 percent at the highest level since 1975. And, and, the, and the, the job market has always been the weak spot of the French economy and obviously high on the political agenda. And uh, it's too early to say whether we, we see here a kind of an employment miracle similar to the one we've seen in Germany, but it's it's nevertheless a very important point uh, that, that needs to be mentioned. Right. So this is really a turnaround story here. So but there are also some structural long term issues in the French economy. So one area where the French economy clearly underperformed relative to its euro area peers is uh, export growth. Exports still remain 5% below the pre-pandemic level. At the same time, experts in the rest of the euro area have surpassed that level by 3%, making up an 8% gap between the rest of Europe and France. Weak export growth is not only a short-term issue, but something that has happened systematically since the year 2000. While exports went up by around 60% in France since 2000, they went up by double that number, 120% in the remaining euro area countries. Yeah, and that, that weak export performance also shows up in a very sluggish growth of value added in the manufacturing sector. So before the start of the pandemic, value added of the French manufacturing sector was up around 10% compared to the start of the monetary union. In the rest of the euro, it was up around 50%, i.e. five times as much. And there are several factors potentially explaining the, the weak long-term export performance of the French export industry. And, and observers usually point to the high corporate taxes and the lack of qualified workers in the manufacturing sector. In addition, there's a relative lack of medium-sized companies that are an important driver of the export success of the German or the Italian corporate sector for, for uh, um, in, in that regard. Yeah, you mentioned corporate taxes. So these taxes have been blamed for the weak uh, investment dynamics in France and also perhaps for the export performance, but they have been lowered under Macron. 
this said, uh, the headline rate remains still relatively high. The effective corporate tax rate is uh, slightly north of 29% in France, according to OECD calculations. This compares with 28% in Germany, which is also at the upper end of the OECD spectrum, but uh, you know, uh, much lower 12.5% uh, in Ireland. So Macron's program foresees further cuts in corporate taxes. And similarly, Le Pen wants to lower a local corporate tax. Whether or not these measures would be effective in spurring export performance is hard to know, however. And another long-term structural issue facing the next French president is, is the fiscal policy situation. The French fiscal policy has been on average more expansionary than in other Euro-era countries. A look at the cyclically adjusted deficit. So the deficit that remains once accounting for changes in the fiscal position that are simply caused by cyclical forces and that do not reflect discretionary measures shows that the French government had recorded a structural deficit of at least 2% ever since the start of the euro area or the monetary union. And the political programs of Macron and Le Pen both foresee large additional fiscal spending. It's hard to fathom how this can be financed given the structural deficit at the current point and given the plans to cut corporate taxes. Yeah, and perhaps um, prudent fiscal policy would require that the French government's aims at uh, recreating some fiscal space so that it can react appropriately uh, once uh, another crisis hits. So the fact that French policy, fiscal policy has been more or less always expansionary since the exception of the euro suggests that this would really require a rather profound shift in the way fiscal policy is conducted. The programs of the candidates do not inspire any confidence that medium-term consolidation is high on the agenda. The Institut Montaigne, for instance, calculates that the fiscal measures proposed by Emmanuel Macron account for additional annual unfunded spending of around 45 billion per year. The proposals made by Le Pen add up to more than 100 billion each year. Obviously, these are just election promises and who knows how much will actually be done. Nevertheless, all of this seems to point in the wrong direction. Yeah, and the fiscal policy issue is, is likely going to be really a thorny issue when it comes to negotiations at the European level. The, the European Commission suspended the fiscal rules governing the euro area due to the pandemic emergency, um, but the, the so-called fiscal policy guidance for 2023 state that countries still need to, and I'm quote here, I'm quoting here, ensure the debt sustainability through a gradual and high quality fiscal adjustment and economic growth um, that that takes place. The French de deficit stood around 7% of GDP last year, and all the although the deficit is likely to decline this year, it will remain above 3%, which is the level at which the European Commission starts an excessive deficit procedure. Fiscal rules will likely remain suspended owing to the economic shock triggered by the war in the Ukraine. Nevertheless, it is unlikely the European Commission would not demand some consolidation effort once the economic situation has normalized again. And that would clearly conflict with the, the electoral promises of, of both candidates. Yeah, and it seems safe to assume that Le Pen certainly would push back hard against any consolidation demands from the EU Commission should she win the elections. How confrontational this conflict would get would also depend on the market reaction. And similar to the situation in Italy in 2018, whether investors would become genuinely worried about the fiscal position of France. 
more generally, I think it's worth briefly discussing what implications a Le Pen presidency would have on the European level, even if it's somewhat unlikely that Marine Le Pen will win on Sunday. So let's now move to this last topic, the implications of a possible victory of Marine Le Pen for Europe. Yes, indeed, that, that's uh, at least from viewed from outside France, the, the, the main point here um, to focus on. And Le Pen has significantly scaled back her Eurosceptical rhetoric since the 2017 campaign. And during that campaign in 2017, she voted to hold a referendum on the euro. Now she's, she's not questioning, at least directly, France's membership in the monetary union. Yet, Le Pen has clearly not turned into an enthusiastic supporter of the European project. The program of the Rassemblement National still includes several proposals that aim at pushing back at, uh, against uh, past European integration. Le Pen, for example, promises to secure the primacy of French law over European law, and, and this could potentially result in a, in a blow up uh, of the European legal order. And I'm, I'm quoting here her, um, this fundamental evolution of our law, the French law will apply not only in the field of immigration, but also in matters enabling France to reconcile its European commitment with the preservation of its sovereignty and defense of its interests. So clearly pushing back uh, the European influence and ensuring that, uh, if you will, the last word on all these matters is spoken in, in, in Paris. Yeah, it's unclear, of course, what this promise means in, in, in practice, the promise of the supremacy of uh, French law. After all, the question where European law ends is not really a question that has been finally settled. The past ruling of the German Constitutional Court regarding the ECB's monetary policy operations shows that there is some legal gray area. Nevertheless, it's clear that all further European integration projects should be put on hold, would be put on hold, if Le Pen were to win the election. And as Hungary and to a lesser extent also Poland have shown, using the veto power on the European stage can be rather effective to cause paralysis at the European level. And that's perhaps what one should expect. Yeah, to, to summarize what we just discussed, so this is clearly an, an important election. Uh, um, though there's still a small probability based on last polls that Le Pen will win, a uh, victory of her would have profound consequences of France and Europe. And it, only if she gets around 45%, as the polls suggest, it, it still shows that a significant part of French voters are willing to opt for an extreme candidate. And that's something that obviously um, will, will linger on and, and in five years time we'll see how things will look. Fiscal policy will remain a contentious issue in the European context, though clearly less confrontational uh, if, if Macron remains president. Um, the, the one hopeful sign in all this is, is clearly the, the labor market, um, which has improved in a genuine way and, and suggests and, and data suggests that that will continue. And, and finally, um, of course, it's not that uh, the French problems in European context look outrageously big. Uh, right now, actually, Germany looks to be cyclically, economically in, in a much weaker position, given given all the problems we have. Well, thank you for your time, Klaus, and speak to you again next week.